we're slouching towards a recession in, in 2023. 20, uh, I think it's, it's more likely than not. And here you want to have more defensive types of companies, consumer staples and healthcare types of companies, where the demand will be strong regardless of what happens in the economy. What do these shifts mean for investors is on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Years ago on Wall Street, the big picture, the global economy, geopolitics, domestic politics, cultural movements didn't matter that much. The relatively small percentage of the population who invested in stocks bought individual companies based on their specific attributes and held them for a very long time. Well, as we discussed recently in an exclusive series with financial consulting legend Charles Ellis, available on WealthTrack.com, those days are long gone. The markets have changed and expanded dramatically, and market participation, especially through retirement accounts, has exploded. And as many professional investors discovered during the global financial crisis, when the entire financial system was at risk, macro really matters. Well, the macro picture is a specialty of this week's guest. He is financial thought leader Jason Trennert, co-founder, chairman, CEO, and chief investment strategist of Strategus Research Partners, a leading provider of economic, market, and policy research. Strategus has been voted the top independent macro research provider by institutional investors for six years in a row. For the record, it is also a sponsor of this program. We discussed the current state of the economy and markets recently with Trenert, but today in part two, we are focusing on bigger themes that will shape the investment climate for years to come. With the winds of change racing around the world, I asked him to identify the biggest macro themes that are important to investors. We've identified four that we think are, are very important, uh, not just for 2023, but, but in the future. The, the first would be the idea of, of deglobalization. Uh, and perhaps the emergence of, of a Cold War 2.0. Uh, second one would be uh, the idea of quantitative tightening, uh, the idea that the Fed is going to be actively uh, selling off parts of its portfolio and tightening monetary conditions. The third uh, is the idea that inflation is going to be sticky, that there are elements of it that are, that are structural, that might be very difficult for the Fed to root out. And then the fourth is really just preparing for uh, what, in our opinion, will be slower economic growth in, in the years to come uh, and, um, and perhaps a recession. And so those are the four, those are four big themes that uh, we're using to, to construct our portfolios for clients. Talk about deglobalization, what that means and why that is going to be important for investors. Free trade really has always been a source of, of higher productivity and, and lower inflation. And it went into hyperdrive, uh, I would say, when uh, the Berlin Wall came down in 89, and then when China joined the WTO in 2001. Uh, there's some discussion, there's some debate as to how good it was for the average American uh, to have that kind of deglobalization, but it certainly was very good for inflation and very good uh, for financial assets. I would say with the pandemic, though, uh, people really started to question um, the idea that was a part of deglobalization that doing more trade with non-Western countries would make them more Western as far as their values. And I think when it comes to China, that, that clearly, I would say, has not turned out to be the case. 
And so there's much more of a tendency now to want to do more of our manufacturing in the United States, more of our productive um, uh, economic activities uh, closer to home. And I think that that's important largely because that really created a very strong tailwind for disinflation uh, over the last 30 years. And, and the, the good news about deglobalization for Americans is that maybe more Americans will, will be hired in, in manufacturing jobs. The bad news is that it's more expensive uh, and that it, it is going to make things a bit uh, trickier for the Fed. And, and just having a, a long-term secular trend of lower inflation may not be uh, as easy to rely on. Is it too soon to invest in deglobalization or are, are there opportunities being created because of it? I don't think it's too early at all. And I think there's there some, uh, there, there some types of stocks, uh, particularly aerospace and defense, uh, that have already moved a, a fair amount. But I, I think there's a lot more upside uh, in those stocks from here. You have a, an ETF that uh, Strategus just introduced earlier in 2022 called the Strategus Macro Thematic Opportunities ETF. And it's, you know, three to five macro themes. And so one of the themes is defense then, right? And I'm, right. I'm looking Absolutely. at Lockheed. Uh, I mean, you know, the portfolio can change momentarily, but Lockheed has been a holding uh, that you own personally. Right. right, I own personally and it's, I yeah. own it in the, in the fund. I'm a, I'm, a, right. I'm a shareholder, a large shareholder in my own fund. And um, we feel strongly about that theme and that it's going to be, a, that's a long tailed, that's a, a very long duration theme. I don't see that changing, uh, unfortunately, anytime soon. This theme is largely driven by the idea that the world is becoming more of a dangerous place. Uh, and so as a result, we tend to have a lot of aerospace and defense companies here, just with the idea that the U.S. is going to have to spend more on defense, but also our allies, NATO, uh, Japan, um, are going to have to spend a lot more on their defense as well. So that's a, the biggest part, uh, the names that are the biggest part of that, uh, that portfolio. So it might be Lockheed Martin, might be Northrop Grumman. Uh, it, those types of companies uh, will be in there. I think there's also some energy companies. Cameco is a, a company that's uh, uh, very involved in uh, nuclear power. And I think that there's going to be more of a, a tendency to try to be more self-sufficient among at least some countries are going to try to diversify their energy sources. And so Cameco is another one that would be another stock in that, uh, in that theme. Part of the deglobalization theme, Jason, you know, what are some of the other types of investments or sectors that should benefit? Employment companies should, should do uh, better just to the extent to which we're probably going to need to train uh, more workers to, to be more involved in some of the trades uh, that, um, again, that's not been a part of the U.S. program, uh, economic program, for a long period of time. I think uh, eventually, and we don't have a lot of exposure to this, but I would say that there are certain uh, certain products like semiconductors that will clearly become um, become extraordinarily important and are extraordinarily important from a geopolitical point of view for us to control that technology and also control the manufacture uh, of it. Another you know major theme uh, that you mentioned was quantitative tightening, and we talked about it uh, at some length in part one of our interview that I did with you as well. That people can watch on wealthtrack.com. Talk to us about quantitative tightening. It, it's such a technical term. Uh, what does it mean and, and why is it a major macro theme? It means the Fed is actually going to be actively trying to sell off some of its uh, securities, which is a fancy way of saying it's going to be tightening. 
And the major implication of that is that um, companies are no longer going to be able to rely on the kindness of strangers uh, for access to capital. They're going to have to generate their own cash flows and earnings to grow. Uh, they're not going to have such easy access to cheap capital. And so companies that are very well uh, financially managed, uh, we think, are going to do quite well. Uh, here, a company like Corning uh, should, should do very, very well in, in an environment uh, like this. Um, I think um, Archer Daniels Midland, ADM, would be another uh, company that, that generates a ton of free cash flow. Um, and some of the energy companies, too, that would, would also be in another one of our themes, uh, also tend to, tend to fit those areas uh, quite well. And when you're talking about, you know, quantitative tightening, again, harder to get access to credit and credit being more expensive, is that a global phenomenon or is that basically most pronounced in the U.S.? No, it's a global phenomenon to the extent to which all, inflation is a problem globally. Uh, and it's a problem mainly because the world's central banks all largely did the same thing, uh, which was to engage in quantitative easing, which is essentially providing easy money for a very, very long period of time. And so uh, everyone is going through uh, this, this period now. The U.S. tends to have more companies, uh, more innovative companies that were able to be funded uh, in this way. So in some ways, there's a little bit more risk. Uh, but by the same token, I think all countries, and certainly among developed countries, are going to have to deal with this issue. Uh, the, the other big theme was that inflation is going to stay higher for longer. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to say, you mean despite the best efforts of the Federal Reserve and other central banks, uh, you think that inflation reached a, a new uh, a new level that's that's going to be higher than we've been accustomed to for the last you know decade or more. Right. I think there are structural reasons why inflation is going to stay a bit higher. W one of them is is clearly that uh, most of the Western world has has focused on environmental policies almost to the exclusion of, of a robust energy policy. Um, I, I think uh, that's important. I also think that there's a shortage of workers in the United States for some demographic issues. And so I, I wouldn't quibble with the idea that inflation has peaked uh, in the United States, but I also think that it's going to take quite some time uh, for the Fed to get inflation back down to its target of 2%. Uh, and so here you're trying to look for companies that have pricing power, uh, that, have an ability, that have an ability to get pricing uh, regardless of the economic circumstances. And again, here a lot of energy companies fit, fit the bill, uh, a company like EQT, uh, is a natural gas company. A company like Weyerhaeuser, another very strong U.S. Timber. Uh, industrial mm -hmm. uh, industrial paper. company, paper company. Um, those are the types of companies that should do very well, uh, I, in our opinion, in this uh, in this new environment. The final theme that you mentioned was uh, an economic slowdown, and so do, do you think that's going to be a prolonged phenomenon? I think we're slouching towards a recession in in twenty uh, twenty three. I think it's it's more likely than not. And here you want to have more defensive types of companies, consumer staples and healthcare types of companies, where the demand will be strong regardless of what happens in the economy. So there's a lot of, a lot of familiar names on this list, Coca-Cola, uh, Kellogg, um, those types of companies I think should do, should do very, very well, uh, or at least relatively well compared to other more cyclical parts of the economy.
This is the old-fashioned way of investing, Jason, that you're, right. you're talking about. Uh, as far as you know, picking individual companies for their you know specific characteristics, very different from where the money has been flowing and from what's become extremely popular, which is indexing. So, uh, do you think that you know passive investing is basically possibly has you know kind of seen its heyday? I think so because the what, passive investing uh, benefited greatly from uh, a very very low and stable inflationary and interest rate period. So um, there, there wasn't a lot of dispersion in returns between really good companies and, and not so good companies. Very few companies went out of business. I think in this period, unfortunately, but this is part of capitalism, there's going to be more failure. There's going to be more companies that, despite their best efforts, might, might have a difficult time surviving because they have higher uh, interest rates, higher, uh, higher expenses. And so here, I think the, the talented stock picker um, should come back in vogue. Now, I've been, you know, we've been talking about that for years. Right. And, uh, you know, charitably, you could say I was early on that. I think, you know, you could say I was way just early. wrong. Yeah, way <laughs> early or really wrong uh, would be another way of saying it. I do not believe that we are going to go back to the monetary policies that we saw from 2009 through 2021 for a very long time, I, 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 years, uh, and if at all. Uh, but it, it's certainly not going to make uh, as big a comeback uh, as some people are hoping. There are a lot of people that are invested in, in uh, very high-flying technology companies and um, very speculative companies that are, that are hoping the Fed will just, or almost hoping for a financial crisis so the Fed can ease again. And I, I, think, that's, um, I think that's a little too cute by half. I don't know if that's gonna be a reliable investment strategy moving forward. There have been things like what are called lost decades, where you've had terrific stock performance, uh, you know, for 10 years or more. And, uh, and then the next decade uh, is the reversion to the mean uh, is not going to be as strong and where we're equities underperform. Do you think that we are in danger of a lost decade coming up with this change in kind of the financial order? I think there's a real risk that we're, we're facing a, a lost decade in equities, but it, it's, not, um, it's not preordained. And one of the things that usually uh, contributes to a lost decade are bad policies or bad public policies. And um, I, I do think we're in for a tough stretch. Uh, what I'm hoping is that we will revert back to more pro-growth economic strategies uh, that allow for capital spending and productivity that will allow us to grow our way out of some of our problems. A lot of times that isn't the path that's taken. No. And then you, then you tend to have a lost decade. I think we're going to have a, a tough couple of years, uh, but then it'll largely be dependent upon uh, Washington uh, to provide the right incentives for us to use all of the great resources we have in this country. Uh, rule of law, deep capital markets, our own energy sources. I mean, the U.S. really is kind of, it's kind of incredible the, the amount of advantages it has here. We just have to uh, use them appropriately and not take them for granted. Prime Minister Liz Truss, uh, the, the you know, shortest serving prime minister in English yeah. history, uh, basically tried to be, uh, do exactly what you're talking about is cut taxes, tried to be more stimulative, encourage you know, innovation, entrepreneurship, and that was you know, soundly rejected 
um, by the markets. Uh, so do you think those kind of policies, the Reagan-esque and Thatcherite type of policies are, are possible? They're possible, but it requires great political skill. Those, ten those policies never tend to be particularly popular, um, even when they're working really well. Uh, and they, they are less popular when things are a little bit tougher, although I'm convinced that it's the best, it's the best way out. I, I, I feel very strongly that austerity is not a good way of solving uh, your problems, uh, that it really just is a way of failing somewhat more slowly. Um, and so, uh, but um, I think if you have the right politician and the, the, the right leadership, it can work, uh, but it has to be, it, it has to be sold uh, to the constituents as something that will, will help them in the long term. One of the interesting themes that Strategus uh, has been investing in for uh, a, a number of years in separate accounts and, and now in an ETF, are, you've got an ETF that was just introduced in 2022, so we really can't judge you know, how it's going to do um, as an ETF, but the Strategus Global Policy Opportunities ETF, uh, which invests in companies that have very strong lobbying efforts. Can you tell us a little, little bit about that? Because it, it really is a, it's a fascinating approach to uh, yeah, choosing companies. Yeah, some people might find it a little sad uh, that it works yeah. as well as it does. But, you know, uh, as they say in golf, you have to play the ball as it lies. And um, as the size of government grows, uh, the ability to um, use the levers of government uh, to your advantage as a company grows uh, pretty dramatically. And so my partner, uh, Dan Clifton, um, has created this, uh, this portfolio. It's a global portfolio where he looks through Senate filings and he does his own research to find the companies that uh, are lobbying uh, the government extensively. And, and that's, that's largely designed to do one of two things. One is either to avoid something bad happening, like a regulation or um, the other is to maybe get in front of something good, like a government contract or or something that would provide uh, provide the company with with greater business. So um, and and it's done very very well. And I I, uh, I would say the prospects I think of uh, of that are are good uh, for a long time to come. Right. And and again, the ETF is really new, but you've been running a portfolio based on your analysis of, of their success at lobbying uh, Washington for a number of years. And how has that performance been over the longer term? It's been pretty good. I think in the last year or two, it's been a little bit tougher. Um, and that's partly because uh, there's a new entrant on the scene uh, in terms of lobbying, and that's technology. And if you can believe it, three years ago, most of the large technology companies uh, had almost no presence in Washington. Uh, and now uh, they're in Washington uh, in a very large way because uh, they're fearing, I think appropriately, much greater regulations. And so, um, but I think over time, uh, lobbying is a management skill and it, it does uh, add value. I think our, our experience with these portfolios has proven that. You know, an, an ancient investment theme, and I'd like to know what you think about it uh, in, in this era, uh, is remember, don't fight the Fed. Right. Uh, so it, as the Fed seems to be have become much more powerful over the last you know ten plus years, uh, is that even more important today that you don't fight the Fed? It's true in both directions. You, you don't want to fight the Fed when it's easing, 
and you don't want to fight the Fed when it's tightening. And I think one of the one of the things I, I, I was reminded of during the pandemic is that despite the fact that you had really uh, an epic recession, once the Fed started easing, the bear market ended quite quickly. And so even though the economy was still quite weak, uh, the financial markets were doing quite well. Now you're on the other side of that. And so um, the economy may not be that weak, but the Fed is tightening, uh, is tightening uh, monetary policy very aggressively. And it, it means that you have to be a lot more careful. And so I think, I, I think that's always been true. I, I think it's particularly true now in the United States because we do have so many companies that grew up in an era in which uh, their cost of capital was free, that they didn't have to particularly worry about some of these macro issues like interest rates. Uh, now, I think uh, you know, something that would be very basic for most businessmen uh, is now it wasn't particularly important for a lot of new companies over the last 13 or 14 years. I think what we're finding now, though, is that at the end of the day, uh, companies are all largely uh, ultimately driven by the same sorts of things, which is the prospect for earnings um, and the interest rate with which you discount those future earnings. Is it possible that we could have a lightning fast turnaround in the stock market when the Fed you know, stops tightening and or makes its first cut in the Fed funds rate? The data on that actually is not particularly supportive of a lightning fast turnaround. Uh, so the, um, the turnaround comes, but it usually actually comes a, a good three months after the first cut. Uh, so once the Fed starts cutting, it's usually because things are deteriorating uh, and um, sentiment is getting actually more pessimistic. But over time, people start to realize the worst is over and start to look forward. So light, I wouldn't say lightning fast, but I'd say that uh, certainly that sets the stage for the next, for the next run up. But I, I, don't, I don't think people have to fear missing the first easing or miss the, the fact the Fed's going to stop tightening. Uh, it doesn't mean the economic pain is over. Uh, it, it means in many ways you're just transitioning to a little bit further into the business cycle. How far in the future or how close in the future do you think uh, the number one, this Fed cessation of tightening and then it's actually moving into easing again? Are we anywhere close to that? I don't think so. It could be. It could easily be a year or longer, in my opinion, before the Fed starts to ease. There's two things that they have to uh, in my opinion, they have to see. The first would be positive real interest rates, uh, which is uh, just a way of saying that the Fed funds rate would have to be higher than the rate of inflation. And right now, the Fed funds rate is uh, a little more than 4%, and uh, inflation is more like 7.5%. So there's, some, there's a little ways to go. I don't think the Fed's going to go all the way up to 7 but they're going to keep rates at a high level for, for quite some time. The second thing that the Fed would need to see is um, weakness in the labor markets. And, and right now, you're by any normal standard, you're very close to full employment in the United States. So it's, it's hard to see the Fed easing anytime soon. What they're really, again, what they're really trying to avoid is the stop and go monetary policies of the 70s, where they never quite defeat it and it comes back uh, stronger and, uh, than ever before. And so they want to make sure that once they put inflation down, it stays down, and um, then you can build from there. 
And Jason, final question, the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, is there one investment that is particularly appropriate given some of the themes, the big investment themes that yeah. we just talked about? I think uh, there's a company by the name of EQT, mm -hmm. uh, and EQT is a natural gas company, uh, largely based, uh, largely relying on a lot of natural gas uh, in, in Appalachia. Uh, but natural gas is seen, particularly in Europe, as uh, kind of a safety valve uh, in a period in which they became overly reliant on, on Russian oil and gas. And so we're expecting exports of, of natural gas from the U.S. to increase pretty dramatically. Uh, and EQT, which is part of the Strategist Macro Thematic Opportunities Portfolio, we, we think is particularly well uh, well positioned to take advantage of that. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you, Jason, so much for giving your time to us for this program on macro themes and for uh, the other program that we did with you uh, as well on the current state of the market and the economy. We really appreciate it. It's my great pleasure. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. In a rapidly changing world, this week's action point involves something you can control. It is increase your contributions to your retirement accounts this year. The Internal Revenue Service has increased employee contribution limits for 401ks and similar workplace plans by $2,000 to $22,500 for 2023, the largest increase ever in terms of dollars and percentage, according to the Wall Street Journal. And individuals can contribute more to individual retirement accounts as well by $500 to $6,500. There are many other changes for contributions to other retirement plans, including Roth IRAs, and also for people 50 or older, which are worth looking into as well. The IRS is not known for giving out gifts, but when they do, it is worth taking advantage of them. Next week, in part two of our exclusive interview, Charlie Ellis shares his insights on figuring out and mapping out our unique personal financial journeys. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for spending time with us. Have a lovely weekend, and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.